This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you had lived in the days when Jesus was born, and if God had placed upon your heart the task of writing the events concerning his birth, how would you have done it? Only an author with an eye for history would have begun the story of the nativity as Luke does. And it came to pass in those days there, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This phrase, a decree from Caesar Augustus, flings us right into the heart of Roman, of Roman history. Now, who was this Caesar Augustus? Let's back up just a little bit. Most people have heard of Julius Caesar. You know he was brutally assassinated. And at his death, there came to be a struggle for power between three people who wanted to rule. There was Lepidus, Mark Antony, and Octavianus. They finally settled their quarrel by forming a triumvirate or a three-way rulership. They divided the Roman Empire into three parts, each of them ruling over one part. Then these three evil conspirators cooked up one of the most ghastly crimes in all of history. They drew up a list of 300 senators and some 2,000 Roman knights. These were all killed and their property taken. This gave the triumvirate of these three evil men even more to fight over, and fight they did. Octavianus craftily arranged the death of Lepidus, therefore reducing the number to two. And five years after that, he defeated Mark Anthony's forces, that's combined with the forces of Cleopatra, at the Battle of Actium in the year 31 B.C. And so, by the year 30 B.C., Octavianus had become the sole emperor and the master of the Roman Empire. But he had waded to the throne through a sea of blood of his fellow men. Now you may be asking, what does all this have to do with the Bible account of the birth of Jesus? Luke says that Jesus was born in the reign of Caesar Augustus. Here I've been talking about a wicked man named Octavianus. Well, Let's continue with the story of Octavianus until these two points come together. When Octavianus came to be the supreme ruler of the empire, the Roman Senate, catering to his every whim and desiring favor that he alone could give, decided to honor this evil man, so they gave him a new, a new name, Augustus which means distinguished or majestic. The Senate even decided they would further honor him by making a decree that the sixth month of the Roman calendar would be named for him, which they did. They named that month Augustus, which is the reason why we have come to have our month of August from Augustus, or really Octavianus. And so Luke says that this was the man who issued that decree, Augustus, who was then the man who held the title of the Caesar or the ruler. 
And there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, isn't that a rather proud boast? Wow, that tells us something about the pride, the arrogance of this man. All the world. It was because of this taxing that Joseph and Mary set out on their three-day journey from Nazareth to go to Bethlehem. That night, Caesar Augustus little dreamed that as he strolled around in his palace way up in Rome, that way down in one corner in a remote spot of the empire, a small baby was being born who was going to shake his throne. How could Augustus know that this baby would divide time into two segments, before his birth and after his birth? How could Augustus know that hundreds of years thereafter, there, there would be in Rome, where Augustus lived, the headquarters of a church that would honor not the name of Augustus, but the name of that small baby who was being born. That's the Roman center of the Catholic Church, the Vatican. The world is indebted to George Washington Carver, a brilliant black scientist who, with God's guidance, developed thousands of new agricultural and industrial products, all from the lowly peanut. This meant that southern farmers, many of them black, could harvest a profitable crop on their exhausted land. In his later years, Carver was invited to Washington, D.C. for an important congressional hearing. Congress sent influential dignitaries to meet this man's train. Uh, Carver arrived in his usual $2 suit and ragged shoes, dragging a heavy wooden case, which was filled with important experiments. But he obviously needed some help, but nobody paid him any attention. When George Washington Carver asked a red cap for assistance, the fellow looked him over quickly and said, I'm sorry, Pops, but I've been sent down here to meet a very important man, a big scientist. Then before Carver could explain who he was, that man disappeared. Even the welcome committee overlooked this modest little scientist, George Washington Carver. So it was with Caesar Augustus. How was he to know about the importance of this little baby who had been born down in Bethlehem? But there were some people who did know about it. Way off in the Orient, in the mystic East, there was a little band of men who, whom we would call astrologers, people who watched the heavens. One night they discovered a new star in the heavens, a strangely bright star. And they believed that this must be some great happening somewhere in the world. It could be nothing else. It had to be the birth of a king. And so they set out on their journey to find this king. Some people have suggested that as they traveled, they envisioned thoughts about a great palace surrounded by soldiers, pomp and majesty. That, but when they got there and found it was in Bethlehem, inside a cow stall, they were disappointed. That's been pictured many times, but I think that was not the way it was at all. I believe these reverent watchers of the sky heard a whisper in their souls that told them that this babe was worthy of their adoration. Well, you've heard that time changes all things. What did it do for this story? 
Well, all that remains today of Caesar Augustus are a few crumbling columns in the Roman Forum and the scant mention of his name in remote places. You probably didn't even know a whole lot about that until you heard me describe it a few moments ago. But what about this holy child of Bethlehem, unknown by the great people of the earth, born in poverty, raised in humble surroundings, but this child is remembered and loved today by more people than those who ever even heard of Caesar Augustus. But we must ask, what does all this have to do with you and me right now, today? What is it that is significant about this, rather than just some interesting bit of historical fact? Well, in the Gospel of John, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that same verse, in the beginning with God, uh, uh, it says it was in the beginning with God. And then down in verse 14 of that same chapter, John chapter 1, we read, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Of this verse, one person says, One thing, perhaps the most important thing that separates the Christian faith from all other religions is this. In all other religions, it is, let me tell you how to do it. That's the way it is with Judaism. It's the law's way. Let me tell you how to do it. The law prescribes it. That's the way it is in Islam with the Quran, the teachings of Muhammad. Let me tell you how to do it. That's the way of Confucianism, of Shintoism, Buddhism. That's the way of transcendental, transcendental meditation. It's the way of Marxism, materialism, socialism. Let me tell you how to do it. But the wonder of the Christian faith is that God jumped into a suit of flesh and he said, let me show you how to do it. Because of that, God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus' basic command was not, let me tell you how to do it. It was, follow me. That is the difference. And if the word, Jesus, had not been made flesh, then follow me would have been useless indeed. You may have heard the old story about a man who was sitting at home by the fire on Christmas Eve enjoying a good book. His wife came in and said, would you like to go to the Christmas Eve services tonight with us? He said, no, I don't believe in fairy tales. Who ever heard of God coming to be a man? No, I'm not going. So the wife got the kids ready and made one last attempt at her husband, but she was rejected again. She, made, she and the children went on to church while the man remained at home breathing a sigh of relief when the door shut behind them. He settled down to the coziness and the isolation of his home beside the warm fire in the fireplace. Before long, he heard a thump outside his door. He listened, but he did not hear anything. So he settled back down. And then the second time he heard it, thump. This time he got up, he opened the door and looked around outside. In the cold night with the snow blowing in his face, he could not see anything. 
Troubled and a little concerned, he went back to his seat, picked up his book. No sooner had he gotten settled down than thump, the third time it came. So he put on his coat and hat, plunged out into the darkness to see if he could find what was making that noise. He soon discovered that a flock of birds flying in the storm had been blown against the side of the house with such fury that they lay stunned. They tried to stagger to fly again, and then they hit the side of the house once more, and even a third time. Now they lay in the snow so stunned that they could not get in the air again. So having compassion in his heart for these birds, the man thought, if I can shoo them toward the barn, then maybe they can warm up and fly away a little later. But when he tried to do this, the birds were afraid of him and they scattered. Then he hit on an idea. He went to the barn and got some corn. He made a path in the snow with the corn, like in the story of Hansel and Gretel. The hungry birds began eating it, moving all the while toward the barn. The man was feeling so pleased with himself. He eased over and opened the barn door very carefully but then the wind caught the door and slammed it back, frightening the birds and scattering them once again. Finally, in utter desperation and frustration, the man shouted to the birds, if I could only become a bird like y'all, I'd show you the way. About that time, the chimes of the church began to ring out their Christmas message. The message was not lost to him. Yes, God had become a man to show us the way. And the old man knelt in the snow, took his hat in his hands and prayed, Oh God, now I see, now I believe. The word came down to earth in the form of that holy child of Bethlehem. Why did he come? To show us the way. Now, one final thought. Jesus came as that holy child of Bethlehem. God took on flesh. He came to show us the way. But just hearing these words every year is not nearly enough. You've heard the Christmas story so many times. And still, look at all the problems. Look at our lives, how frustrated, how perplexed, how discouraged so many people are today. And these are Christian people for the most part at that. Although I could tell you for 10,000 years that somebody loves you, until you open up your life to that love, you never will know it. The love of God is like a wave in the ocean, constantly pounding and battering away against something on the shore. And God keeps on pounding away at our heart's door. Until we open that door and we say, come in, Lord. I want you to come in to my heart. Then and only then will the love of the Father flood your life. And only then real life begins all over once more. Josh McDowell says that when he accepted Christ as his Savior, there was no bolt of lightning. He did not sprout wings. He didn't dash out to buy a harp. But in six months to a year, his entire life was revolutionized. A college professor explained it this way. 
I became a Christian because I found in myself a need which could be satisfied only by Jesus Christ. I needed forgiveness, and he gave it. I needed companionship, and he was my friend. I needed encouragement, and he provided it. You may have heard the name Stuart Hamblin. He was a cowboy singer, songwriter, who confessed that he was once in danger of becoming a severe alcoholic. A friend of his asked him how he broke that habit, and Hamlin replied, I didn't break it. The Lord did it. He can do the same for anybody who will let him. That night, waiting to go to bed, Hamlin heard the grandfather clock in his house strike midnight. And at the same time, the now familiar refrain of a song ran through his mind. He sat down at the piano, and in his words, he said, it was in exactly 17 minutes that my song was finished. The tune, the words, everything. This was the beginning of a gospel song which has blessed the lives of countless thousands of people over the years. As Stuart Hamlin said, the Lord can do the same for anybody that he did for me. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. If only you'll let him. The holy child of Bethlehem always changes things and people for the better. This can be your experience today for the first time, if maybe even, or for a renewed experience of joy, but only if you're ready. Will you pray with me? Our Father, you've loved us with a love beyond description. Help us to open the door of our lives more and more that the flood of your love and peace can come in. Help us, O Lord, to accept your standards of right rather than trying to determine our own. Grant that we may know your love, your kindness, your mercy, your forgiveness, and to know that when we stumble, fall, you're going to pick us up. O Lord, in the midst of trying and perplexing days, grant us the ability to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to let him control, and to organize our restless lives. In his name, the name of the Prince of Peace, we make our prayer. Amen.